This message was shared from the pulpit at Good News Baptist Church in Chesapeake, Virginia. For more information, visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org. The scripture tells us that man is born unto what? Trouble. The same way if you light a fire outside, the sparks go up. When a person is born, trouble is going to be along their pathway. Guaranteed. That is not what I like about life. <laughs> life is full of tragedy, surprises. And sometimes those tragedies can overwhelm you. Uh, some of us who work in law enforcement, those of you that work in the healthcare system, you see life at its worst. Those of you that have served in our military and especially have been involved in, in uh, action overseas, been in combat zones and so on, you, you, you get to see what uh, is the result of sin on this planet. And it's, it's devastating, it's shocking, uh, it affects Christians. Frankly, I don't know how the world does it without Christ. Uh, and when you look at suicide rates, when you look at uh, rates of addiction, uh, they're not handling it well. They can't. And yet the Lord has graciously given us a book in the Bible that tells us, and it's not complicated, but it tells us how to handle the worst of circumstances when life gets complicated. And that is the book of Job. Last week, we looked at the first assault on Job's life, and we came right up to the climax. What is going to happen? If you had never read about Job's life, what is going to happen when every physical, material thing he has, except for his own life and that of his wife, when everything is gone? How does this guy handle it? What is he going to do? And verse 20 of chapter 1 tells us this, Then Job arose and rent his mantle, his robe, and shaved his head and fell upon the ground. And as humans, we say, well, none of that surprises us. This guy has just faced... Uh, the worst thing that, that he's ever faced personally, but, but that any of us would face. When, when all the wealth you have and the people that are dearest to you, when they're taken away in rapid fire, you lose, we would say, everything. We use that expression. All right, well, what he does at this point, that, that doesn't surprise us. This is the shock that overcomes a person that gets this news. It's overwhelming grief. Have you ever experienced that kind of grief? Uh, you don't have to raise your hand. Some here have. I've grieved. I've experienced that shock. But not having received the overwhelming news that Job did. So later, God is going to do something for Job 
that is the same intention that he has for each of us, but he's going to use an extreme case to help us with our case. All right, that's, that's what this book is about. Now, what was your response towards God while you were grieving? And perhaps you're still grieving. What, what has been your response to God? And I don't stand here elevating myself. This is so instructive for me. But what was your response? Notice how verse 20 ends. And he worshipped. Wow. We could just stop right here and take the rest of the morning to talk about that. He worshipped. Now listen to how he worshipped. Verse 21, and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb. Naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He worshipped. Let me give you a short phrase that I hope you'll see in your sleep. I hope you'll never forget this. Here it is. Consistent worshipers are conquering sufferers. Let me say it again. Consistent worshipers are conquering sufferers. When you face tragedy and you begin to suffer, whether or not you know how to worship God and whether in that moment you go to God to worship will determine how things are all going to turn out for you. And I'm not saying that you're going to get back whatever you lost, that things are going to get better, you're going to get your health back. I'm not saying any of that, but you will come forth as gold if you go to God and worship. Now, there is a direct application here. Some of you that don't worship that often or you think worship is showing up on Sunday mornings once in a while, that's not worship. And by the way, you're not going to be ready. It doesn't mean that God's grace can't come into your life and grow you and open your eyes and help you get to where you need to be. But if you don't worship God consistently, you won't be ready to suffer. The reality is you're going to suffer. It's going to happen. But Job worships God. He had no idea that it was Satan who had taken away what he had. But he was right to attribute the giving and the taking to the Lord who Job knew was in complete control of everything. Yet there is more to his worship. Notice the name of God used three times in this verse. This is significant. He uses the name Yahweh. That is God's covenant name, his covenant relationship name. That is the relationship that Job had with his creator. And so he blesses the Lord because no matter what happens to my circumstances, I still have a covenant with God. I have placed my trust in him. Remember that Job also sacrificed. He understood the importance of the blood for covering sin. He knew how to be right with God. He maintained that relationship with God. 
And so as he is worshiping, he uses three times the covenant name of God. My God, who has committed himself to me, will not forsake me. That's rich. But you're not going to, it's not just going to dawn on you in your suffering if you are not walking with God and worshiping him right now. What is the answer to extended suffering? The book of Job is going to deal with that. And when Job begins to doubt the covenant relationship he has with God, when he begins to question that, things take the deep dive for Job. But when he's facing the worst of the storm and he worships, he's doing all right. But when he begins to doubt the covenant side of that, that's when things really get hard. What then is the Holy Spirit's analysis of Job after this first assault? Look at verse 22. In all this, Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. He did not attribute wrongdoing to God, either directly or subtly. So what happens after round one? God wins. Why are we here? To bring glory to God. God needs to win. And that same God who has a relationship with you and I, he says, I know the plans I have for you, not for evil, but for good, to bring you to a desired end. And the Bible tells us what that end is going to be. No matter what happens here, I get everything new there. And everything that I get new there is forever. So that helps me better understand right now. And praise God for the example of Job. And so we move on now. This brings us to the second assault that brought great calamity to Job's life. This assault will come from two different sources. Not just Satan, but this time it will come from those who are close to Job. Other humans, his wife, these souls. Although we are just getting started in the book, let me remind us of the basis for all that is happening to Job. John Phillips I think said it most succinctly, this book is intended to teach us two things, the majestic purposes of God and the malignant purposes of Satan. Walk with God, worship God, no matter what happens, it's not going to threaten your relationship with God, and he has good intended for you. Play Satan's game, Remain in his family if you're not saved. And whatever he has planned for you is malignant and deadly. So we've already seen the climax of the first assault on Job, which was his worship. That was the result. Chapter 2 now leads us into the second attack on God's servant, but Scripture doesn't tell us how much time has elapsed between the first assault and the second assault. The Holy Spirit intended that. 
It doesn't matter how long. It could have been weeks as Satan watches, when is this guy going to curse God? We don't know. may have been days. But the point is, there was time. And then, verse 1 of chapter 2, again, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and, as it is in chapter 1, the Satan, the archenemy, came also among them to present themselves before the Lord. Now, he comes into the throne room as a defeated foe. He's lost round one. What a humiliation. And now he's got to report to God again. He doesn't want to hear what God has to say. He's been defeated yet again. Verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, From whence comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said unto Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? Ouch! That there's none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that fears God and eschews evil. And still he holds fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him. The idea there is to swallow him up. By the way, what a description of the grief we face. It can, it can overwhelm us. Have you ever been uh, seaside and had a wave overwhelm you? Where it just feels like, okay, out of control. This thing is way bigger than I am. Well, that's the idea here. Swallowed him up. You've moved me against Job without cause. Now, obviously, God knows all that has happened to Job. And Satan knows he knows. Yet arrogance doesn't know when it's been defeated. Studying the life of Satan is a mystery. He keeps trying and he keeps losing. But he keeps trying. And he's more determined here than ever. Now also consider that there is a reason... Jesus asked us to pray in Matthew chapter 6 and deliver us from evil. Do you know that the wording, and I've given it to you, this is exactly what the Greek is saying, don't allow me to be drawn into temptation. Lead us not into temptation makes us think that God tempts us. And God tells us in James, I don't tempt anyone. People are drawn away of their own lust and enticed, and Satan is a tempter. And so we're praying, don't allow us to be drawn into temptation, but, but the way the wording is there, but deliver us from, and it is literally the evil. And it's speaking about the evil one. Now along with that, when I pray that each morning to the Lord, Lord, today deliver me from the evil one, deliver me from my flesh, and deliver me from this world system. But it's important that we remember, and, and our praying this reminds us, Lord, there's an enemy out there. He's like a roaring lion, and he's looking for me. All right. So God wants us to pray that, and Job reveals why it's so important to pray that. And so when you and I do pray that, when we look to heaven, we see that we're loved. If you look to Satan, you'll see that you're hated. So verse 4, And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath will he give for his life. 
Lawson puts it this way in his commentary, quote, the devil is accusing Job of being willing to risk the skin of his children and livestock in order to protect his own skin, end quote. Satan had watched enough sinful men on this planet to know that men will often sacrifice almost anything to save their own skin, which is true. Job was, or Satan was convinced that this is what Job was made out of. Verse 5, put forth now thine hand, again, same as in chapter 1, verse 11. Okay, he's admitting to God's absolute control, Satan is, whether he realizes it here or not. Put forth thine hand now, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse thee to thy face. face. Now, no more rebellious words were ever uttered anywhere, but especially they're awful here because they're in the throne room of God. Who would ever say that before God? Satan desires that we respond to God the same way he does. And by the way, if you're not controlled by God, saint, you can respond like Satan in rebellion. Verse 6, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand. Again, same expression, chapter 1, verse 12. But save his life. Only save his life. Now God may place us into the hand of another, but here's good news. He never loosens his grip on us. How about all those persecuted Christians around the world? How can that even happen? Listen, God may place us in the hand of another, but he never loosens his grip on us. He never does. That's what we need to acknowledge here. Now, Satan's malignant purpose is take the next step. He's taken Job's wealth. Now he's going to take Job's health. So went Satan, verse 7, forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto his crown. It was interesting as I studied for the message to just read what different commentators think this may have been. And I don't suggest that you Google it because there's some, some, at least don't do it before you have lunch, all right? There's some pretty tough pictures of, of what Bible scholars think this may have been. Uh, there's one disease that several of them point to called elephantitis where the body uh, swells and literally your skin looks like the hide of an elephant. The Bible doesn't tell us. But some of the language in this verse gives us a hint to what is going on here. And let me just share that with you. This may have been the same disease with which God smote the Egyptians before the Exodus. Remember what happened with the Egyptians? They were, they were covered in boils, in tumors. God also threatened Israel. He said, now when you get into the land of promise, if you turn your back on me, Deuteronomy 28, 27, I'll strike you with that same uh, illness as the Egyptians had back in Egypt. What characterized that, Deuteronomy 28, 27, and included boils, tumors, and I think this is the worst part, along with that pain, uncontrollable itching. Have you ever had an itch you couldn't scratch? Ah! 
Now, for our live stream audience, right now, people all over the auditorium are, no, they're not really, okay. But we've been there, right? I can't get to it. Help! If you've ever broken a bone and gotten a plaster cast, and are about halfway up that cast, it's, it itches. Ah, okay, all right. I know I have everybody's attention, but now let's move on together, okay? Don't, don't stay there. Imagine all this happening, and what does the text tell us? Verse 8, and he took him a potsherd, piece of broken pottery, probably sharpened in some way, to scrape himself with all, to scratch all over. His whole body itched. And this was the best way to deal with the problem, but it just wouldn't quit. And he sat among the ashes. This is a reference to deep mourning before God. Now we get another sense of how awful this disease was by the intense reactions of those who looked on Job. What about his wife? She is distraught, not just because of what's happened in her family, but looking at how her husband is suffering. She can't take it. We're going to see how her response, what her response is shortly. But we see in chapter 19 and verse 17 that whatever this disease was, that it caused Job's breath to be so offensive that she avoided it. In a time like this, who do you need? You need your loving spouse. She couldn't bear to be close to him because of his breath. And then, of course, we're going to see the Job's friends show up, and literally for seven days they sit, and they're so shocked at what they're seeing, they, can't, they don't know what to say. They, and by the way, they would have been better off just to sit, pray, and not say anything. It's when they decide to start talking that the trouble really starts. But that was this disease. Now this brings us to the second climax in the story, in the narrative. It's all been building up to this next, what's going to happen? Verse 9, Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? What does integrity mean? Are you still committed to doing what is right before God? Are you still committed to that? And what's her response? Curse God and die. Her conclusion based on her own loss and what she saw happening to her husband. Her conclusion was this. Listen. Write it down if you need to. Escape is better than integrity. No, it's not. No, it's not. But that was her conclusion. Now, this is hard, but at the same time, Job needed her the most. At the time he needed her the most, she stepped onto, I don't think she intended to do this. She wanted him to get some relief. But at the time that he really needed her, she stepped across the line on the side of the devil and said exactly what, de what Satan was working for. Remember before he left heaven, the throne room? This is what his goal was. And she just stated the very same thing. 
Now, let me speed ahead. A lot has been written about Mrs. Job. Most of it is quite harsh and fails to consider her plight. There was someone else who lost all those children. There was someone else who lost those possessions. And I don't think it was that important to her. Those kids, that's what, that's what mattered. But you know, you, you need to have some substance to be able to take care of the children. And at the same time that Job lost it all, she has just lost it all. And now, the person in the world who is dearest to her is a physical wreck. So I'm not going to stand here, like some commentators, oh, Mrs. Job messed up. Stop it already. Put yourself in, in this dear lady's shoes and learn. I believe that the Septuagint, again, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, captures much of what really happened in her devastated life and how she responded to it, okay? Now, there's, there's a lot in the Septuagint that we don't find in the actual Hebrew text. But let, let me just read this for you because I think it does, I'm not saying this is inspired, but I am saying this gives us an idea. Here's what the Septuagint says, and I'm paraphrasing uh, some. Job's wife said unto him, How long do you stand steadfast, saying, Behold, I wait yet a little longer, looking for the hope of my deliverance. Job, your memorial is already blotted out from the earth. Now, here's, here's what she's referring to. These children, when we're gone, who, what's going to be our memorial? It's not going to be our stuff. It's these kids. Offer them together with your sons and your daughters who are also the fruit of my pains and labors for whom I have labored now in vain. You also sit in the rottenness of your disease while I wander from place to place, from house to house, trying to find provision for us. All the while grief, griefs oppress me. Speak therefore some word against God and die. Let's just get this over with. Which makes me think that, again, this trial went on a little while. Mrs. Job knew her husband had not spoken against God or the unfairness of what was happening or what seemed to be unfair. Was he in denial? There are some folks that when they experience grief, their, their way of dealing with it is they just deny that really anything's happening. Could he not see what had just happened and how it also impacted her life? She needs support too, right? Yes! But there's her support. He can't do anything. Was his loyalty to God more important than reality? And here's, here's the point. No, his loyalty to God was reality. And, and with all the other realities that are happening, folks, that is our reality. God doesn't change. Continue to worship him. Continue to look to him. That's reality. And he can change any other reality in your life that you see as, an, as, as a threat. Verse 10, but he said unto her, 
Now I'm gonna, what we're going to read is not him snapping at her. Not, her giving, not him giving her a verbal tongue lashing. Say, how, how do you even know that, Pastor? Well, because at the end of this, the Bible says that he did not sin against God with his lips. Guys, when you say unkind things to your wife, you're sinning with your lips. When you react to her in anger, you're sinning with your lips. God said he didn't sin in what he's about to say here. So let's temper it with what is really happening. You speak as one of the foolish women speak. In other words, your words are like those of a woman who is known for her foolishness. I believe that he's separating his wife from that kind of woman. Honey, you're not like that. But you're sounding like that. I believe Job knew better of his wife. But his rebuke was needed. His wife should also have been worshiping, but instead she delivers an indirect accusation against God. The next thing Job says defends God and is reality. Watch this. What? Should we receive good at the hand of God and should we not receive evil or that which is bad here? In all this did not Job sin with his lips. He maintained his integrity yet again. He doesn't say anything spiteful or sinful to his wife and he refuses to blame God. Wow. So folks, do you understand what just happened here? Satan loses round two. Bell rings, he's on the mat. He's just lost again. Now how did it happen? Job continued to worship God. By living in the reality of what he knew to be true of his covenant God. And he kept, he was kept from blaming God and sinning with his lips. Now, what do we state at the beginning of the message? Consistent worshipers become conquering sufferers. He's just going to continue to worship God. Now, let me just pause for a moment. After chapter 2, Satan doesn't go away. Here's what I believe happens. Some friends show up to help, and Satan continues to speak through them. One of the best ways that you can help someone who has faced tragedy and is suffering is to go to God in prayer with them and all of you worship together. And by the way, while you're worshiping, just start quoting scripture. Remind yourself of what you know to be true about your God. And we have the benefit while we're praying in that suffering to say, and oh, by the way, Lord, thank you for the example of Job. God, help me be like Job. Lord, help me to continue to worship you. Reality is you haven't lost your grip. Oh, Lord, I don't understand this, and it hurts. It's your God. Lord, help us to continue to worship. And by the way, what does the Lord tell us in Philippians? When we pray and plead and we praise, that's worship. 
He says, I'll give you peace that passes all understanding. He'll do that for you. You don't have to see what the outcome's going to be because he already sees it. He knows. Spurgeon noted this on this text. Satan only led Job to utter another of his notable speeches that are now the treasures of the church. We have received at the good hands of God and we must be ready for those hard times when God chooses to take some things out of our lives. But we never have a reason to stop worshiping or giving thanks. Now, why does the book end the way it does? All the possessions come back and by the way, they get 10 more children. God doubles everything. You say, well, they only got 10 more. Yeah, the other 10 were in heaven. So they didn't lose their kids. But God shows us that. God didn't have to do that. But God shows us that to say, look, everyone reading my word, and, and especially my children, I've got this. I haven't lost my grip. You continue to trust me. Continue to focus on who I am as God and I'll get you through your suffering. And so when we worship, God is glorified. His enemies are humiliated. Also, Satan may be allowed to access our wealth and our health, but we decide whether or not we're going to give him access to our hearts. Did you catch that? God may give him access to those other things, only we give him access to our hearts. And aren't you thankful that in living in your heart, my heart is the Holy Spirit of God. And so I just need to turn to him. What happens when, when saints suffer? Well, if they're worshipers, they can endure any assault that the enemy throws at them. May God help us to walk with him. Live the reality that he is greater and he's up to something good. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this text today. Father, I don't know how you may have spoken to hearts here. No doubt, some are listening this morning who are really hurting. Maybe recently lost a loved one. Thanksgiving was a downer because people were missing at the table. But Father, we have no cause not to worship you consistently. And Father, would you teach us that consistent worshipers become conquering sufferers. Now, God, work in our hearts here. Help us to surrender anything to you that you might have touched our hearts about today. In Jesus' name. Toward the hope of our high calling, toward the promise we've received. Thank you for listening. If you have questions about your relationship with God or you would like to know more about the ministry of Good News Baptist Church, please visit us online at goodnewsbaptist.org or call us at 757-488-3241. We encourage you to share this message with others. We trust your heart was challenged as you listened, and God's Word has had an impact on your life, as together we strive to show forth the path of life. Press on.